Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have an incredibly special guest on. Her name is Mary Spath. Mary has a very unique background in media, government, politics, business, and entertainment. She's a thought leader in communication theory, executive training, and coaching, including how to utilize social media to maximize your influence. This woman is going to blow your mind. She, she, I'm telling you, hang on with us. You're not going to want to miss this episode and share this out. This is going to be fantastic. Stay with us. I'm going to bring Mary Spath on. Before I do, I got to tell you that she was also recently named by the Dallas Business Journal as the change maker. She was also featured on the front cover of the September of 2013, the DCEO magazine featured her and called her the fixer. Let's bring Mary Spath on. Mary, welcome to the show. Well, hello. How nice to be here with you. I am thrilled to have you here, um, primarily because, I mean, you're phenomenal. We've spoken on the phone a couple of times, and and um, I'm, you know, I don't know if you ever experienced, um, um, what's that called, uh, where where you feel like you're out of your league. <laughs> I I feel like I feel like I'm out of my league a little. Um, imposter syndrome, that's what it is. <laughs> but so, so because you have done some amazing things and, um, so I'm excited and very grateful that you're here. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. So Mary, I, I started this show about three years ago and, um, the thought was, I want to help people have a breakthrough in life, like get unstuck. I think people go through challenges and they get stuck and they stay stuck. And I believe that by hearing other people's stories of, of triumph, we, we, we heal and we, we become better as humans. So um, why don't we start with where you were born and raised? Uh, well, I was born in Charlottesville, Virginia. And um, my dad was a med school student and my mother was a model. I looked just like my dad. Um, and um then we moved to Philadelphia in 1952, and that's where I grew up. And a lot of my family is still there. Hi, Spaths. <laughs> okay, isn't it right? In Virginia. I uh, know they're in Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah. I just bought two cars from a friend of mine in Philadelphia. Well, Philadelphia is an interesting city. Wonderful history. Uh, it was actually a great place to grow up, and. Uh, um, the area that I lived called West Mount Airy was an area that was one of the end stops on the Underground Railroad back through the 1800s. And so it was an integrated neighborhood from the very beginning, which made it very unusual for a large city. And the uh, uh, there were lots of uh, doctors and lawyers uh, from um, who were African-Americans. It was it was a, it was a unique growing up place, I think. And I went to a Quaker school. And there's no doubt about that living in, in West Mount Airy and going to Germantown Friends uh, provided a foundation, even though I would describe myself as a conservative, it was very important in my perspective in terms of the people and what we owe them. Wow. Is that is that anywhere near um, Springfield? I I'm not familiar with the area. N not really. It, it's, it's if you if you were um, I'm in Dallas. So yeah. you know, there, you, you say you're from Dallas, depending how far away you get from Dallas and the closer you get to Dallas. Actually, I live in Plano, um, but Springfield and West Mount Airy really aren't that close to each other. They're not. No, okay. But they can claim Philly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where I was. I went to, went over to Springfield. So, so um, 
so you went to is that where you went to school and high school is was in in west mount area i know well germantown is in uh germantown france is in an area called germantown okay and when the english settled uh philadelphia um you know, i'm sure you remember william penn uh gave the original grant and created pennsylvania um, they didn't want the germans because they thought they were dirty so they uh, they shoehorned them out of town for about five miles, and they set up German town, and okay. then the next uh, the next suburb beyond that is West Mount Airy. Now, did you did you end up going to college? Uh, I went to Smith College in Western Massachusetts, and then to Columbia Business School. And um, my wow. father likes to refer to me saying that it's apparent that Columbia Business School will graduate anybody. <laughs> Jeez, which is in my case true. Is it really? Well, I was um I, I was a ringer. Um, the um I, I appreciate you saying that my background looks impressive, Ken, because really I just hopped around from um, from thing to thing, and um, and I was very fortunate to be an, alive at an opportunity at, at a time when there were so many opportunities for women, and all my life I have been the great good fortune and. That's it's very important to me now to live by the golden rule because so many things happened to me because people just did something nice for me without being asked. Yeah. And I had started, um, let's see, in um, uh, in the mid 1970s, uh, the um, uh, New York Times had just started the weekend section for all the things happening in New York on the weekend. And at the same time, uh, Time Warner had just wired the five boroughs of New York for cable. So they had wonderful access and no programming. Right. Cable was looking for people to, and this, this is like your younger viewers are gonna wonder about this, but um, you could have an, a half hour of cable for $25 an hour and reach all five boroughs. Wow. So I thought if the New York Times had a print version, we could do a TV version. And we started a little show called Manhattan Weekend. We had about 25 reporters who were all volunteers and we covered street fairs and new restaurants and new things to do. And we were actually extremely successful. Um, wow. We were the first show to be supported by general advertising. Uh, the Bankers Trust decided to experiment with this new thing called cable. <laughs> and we advertised the miss a month loan. I still know all the words. People really believed you could miss a month. We had one little minor problem. After our first 13 weeks, which had gone great, our little studio had a flood and we had to move to a new studio and our revenue stayed the same and our costs doubled. Wow. Um, you can see the math is not going in the right direction, but we were yeah. doing, we were getting reviewed. And so we hung on at the end of the second weeks, second week, it was clear I had run out of whatever it was I could uh, raise from um, my beloved father. <laughs> yeah. but at that point, Columbia was desperately looking for women and for small business owners. And I was a twofer. So um, one of the things, if you went to Columbia Business School in those days, you weren't going to fail. And I had a fantastic experience at Columbia Business School. I really learned a lot. Uh, I, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for Columbia Business School. Um, but I will tell you that the statistics professor changed the grading score. There were about five of us who were small business owners. He changed the grading score so that we would pass. Wow. Pretty much tells you um, <laughs> my intellectual abilities. Well, I, I don't know if it's intellectual or or like me. I just didn't really care for school at all. <laughs> I hear and and what's terrible about it is I I, I read a lot now. Um, but I I I I hear my my 15 year old and my 11 year old daughters talk about how much they despise school, <laughs> and I can't. And I'm like, I can relate to that. I love it actually. If I take if I put in the plug. Yeah. One of the ways I got through Columbia was because they organized you into these study groups. And one of the people in my study group was an expert on data management. So I glued myself to him because he couldn't write a concise word. And also while he really understood um, the very important nuts and bolts of operations, he didn't know how to present it. And so uh, I actually did okay in Columbia. I got the Achievement Award, amazingly enough. But that's wow. because to any of your the entrepreneurs who are in your audience who are listening, okay, there is help on the way for both writing and speaking. 
so that you can be as good in these disciplines as you are in operations and technology. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, and, and that's one of the, the things that I, um, I've noticed with me is I might be really good in one area as an entrepreneur, but lacking in several others. So, so, so you ended up, you graduated and then, um, you know, for those watching that don't know, you were, um, I forget the exact title, media relations director. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I, if, if, let me take a step back, though, if I can. Yeah. As I graduated from Columbia, I then went to Washington on a program called the White House Fellows Program, Okay. something I also uh, urgently commend to your, your listener viewers, uh, either for themselves or for people that they might want to um, have a high-level exposure to government. Uh, it was started under Lyndon Johnson and modeled on the Rhodes Scholarship. <clears throat> and uh, you apply, it's a, it's a regional competition, and then about uh, a dozen fellows are selected each year and they get assigned generally to a cabinet secretary, it depends. But I got assigned to Bill Webster, who was the director of the FBI. And I was wow. the first fellow to go to the FBI and the only woman on his, non-lawyer woman on his executive staff. And it was an extraordinary experience. Um, I can come back to it if you're interested. From yeah. There, the Federal Trade Commission for two years as the director of public affairs and here's what I mean about people being so generous to me. Um, we were very ambitious at the at the Federal Trade Commission, advancing President Reagan's deregulatory initiative. And the chairman, uh, Dr. James Miller, who was an economist, was best friends with Jim Baker, the chief of staff at the uh, at the White House. Yeah. And uh, the two of them talked, and Baker would say things like, "You guys are getting such great attention," and Miller. <laughs> did not behave like a typical, he would say, Mary, Mary's doing that, that's her work. So when instead of saying, thank you, I'm just incredibly competent, <laughs> he was very good. So the day after Gergen left, I got a call from Mr. Baker's office saying, Mr. Baker would like to see you. So it's like, okay. Wow. And um, the media office at the White House, um, is it, this is the world's greatest job, um, Ken, because everybody's familiar with the press office with the poor press secretary who has to stand at the podium and deal with all the insulting questions from the national reporters. That's not media. Media office is everybody else. It's <laughs> local press. It would be you. If you called up the White House, you'd get media. Um, and today wow. there's so much press. But the best part, whatever you want to say about Jimmy Carter, he understood organizational politics and he created the media office, but he didn't make it part of the press office. It reports to the chief of staff. And wow. so the big press office can't squash it. And um, so I got wow. over there and Baker said, Mr. Baker said, okay, Mary, what do you want to do here? And I had been looking around at the Federal Trade Commission because we had no money. But of all, of all the departments, you would not suspect this agriculture was in the lead. And they had cut a deal, which was then with ITT Dialacom, to set up the first agriculture news. And so I said, I want that. I mean, what, see, see what they've got? I want it here. So um, wow. I packed my belongings, moved down Pennsylvania Avenue, and there was ITT Dialacom waiting for me saying, what would you like, Miss Spaeth? And we set up the White House News Service. And I'm, I'm, um, if anybody is our age, they may remember the, the modem dial-ups. You had the two little cups. And you dialed a phone number. And you and I was number, I, we were so early in this game, we were number 51 on the menu. Oh my gosh. White, white type, and up would come the White House News Service. So I loaded everything I could get my hands on into that. But what that was, it was the first arrow in the heart of the mainstream media, because it meant they didn't have a monopoly. If you had a phone, a, a primitive computer, and an account with ITT Dialacom, in fact, all you really needed was a phone and an account with ITT Dialacom, and a monitor, wow. you could get the White House News Service. And so that was our um, our beginning. And then we started doing all kinds of daily briefings and a variety of other things. But that all happened because uh, Jim Miller was just kind to me, looked out for me. And because Jim Baker took a chance on me, because um, as you can imagine, we were not very popular with the mainstream media. They yeah. didn't have competition and that's what we were. That's awesome. 
they need some competition. Well, now you know you might. I'm I'm not sure that there's not. Oh gosh, I'm going to sound like a curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah. Because you're obviously an example of the good competition, but today everybody's a reporter. Um, yeah. I, you know, it's something that I, I'm not, I am so far from being a reporter. Now, my wife in college, she, she was the, I don't know what she's on here. There's, there's a comment from her. She was, she worked at the, did something with the college newspaper, the editor or, or something. I don't, I don't know. Um, look, Anna's give a heck, Mary people love you so so you um wow so jim baker is the one that that and this was a so this was a a, a new position that didn't even exist well C carter created the media office in recognition okay. of the importance of local press um, but what happened, um, um, you will remember, but for some of your audience to refresh their memories, Reagan was elected. Jim Brady was the press secretary. And very early in the administration, he was shot. And the two deputies, Karna Small and Larry Speaks, who had been best friends, competed with each other to become um, press secretary. Larry Speaks won. Karna was exiled to the media office, but she didn't really, I mean, she was not interested, Ken, in either you, you know, or the Columbus Dispatch. Um, is is right. that, is Columbus Dispatch still publishing? Unfortunately, they are. No, no, I want them to stay alive. <laughs> I know, so but yeah, they're kind of, they, 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 uh, they're biased. <laughs> Everybody's biased. Kar Karna moved to um, the National Security Council. So she, the media office was never where she wanted to meet. But by contrast, I, at the Federal Trade Commission, had been known as the apostle of the local press. That's exactly where I wanted to be. Wow. Because um, I recognized, as you know instinctively, is that most people get their news from local media or from media that covers whatever their industry or in interest is. They are, in fact, not reading the Washington Post. So being able to reach out to media, I mean, one of the things that, that one of my favorite stories um, and is we did uh, regular briefings for all different kinds of press and periodically we would invite in media from various regions. And so we were doing one in the uh, in Philadelphia, North Atlantic or Philadelphia and New Jersey region for weeklies. And we had, uh, these were pretty standard, four hours, half hour slots, 20 minutes of remarks, 10 minutes of questions. We and um, for the regional briefings, we had a, a room 450 holds about 200 people, so we had 200 people. And I got a call a couple of days before the actual briefing from the schedulers, and they said, "You know, the president is free that day. Would your guests like to have lunch with him?" It's like <laughs> with President Reagan. Said, Give me a break. <laughs> so we had the briefing, and then they all had lunch with the president and Hans Bergermuller. Hans, if you're still out there, I love you. Okay. He owned about 30 weeklies, many of which in different languages like uh, like uh, uh, Ukrainian, in this area. And he ended up sitting next to the president. I don't think he said a word for the whole lunch. He just sat there for the whole lunch like this. <laughs> but the, the AP photo that rang of, ran of the event had have him and the president had said, Hans Bogomerler has lunch with the president. He ran that photo, Ken, on the top half of every one of his weeklies the next week. <laughs> and he included the transcript from every briefer. Yeah, I'm sure. And I was like, okay, if you reach out to the local press, um, you're going to get a, even though they have mutated, even though I know they have changed, you're going to get a much better, not necessarily soft by any means, but a much fairer story. Um, we also started doing satellite interviews, um, which of course now it's like, whoop, you know, no big whoopee. Haven't they always existed? No, they haven't yeah. always existed. No. And we would put five, because <clears throat> switching technology had just changed. So we put five stations together and I put my speaker, um, generally a cabinet secretary, but frequently the vice, Mr. Vice President, the Vice President Bush, put him in front of the camera. And you have a little card here that had the call letters, <clears throat> the city, and the name of the anchor. 
and you'd do five minutes. And um, wow. uh, the anchors would, I mean, they would ask probing questions, but respectful questions. It was fantastic. Yeah. Anyway. I'm much, much a, a little bit different from today. <laughs> you know, I, I think so. Although if I look at the local press here in Dallas, they're well-informed. Yeah. If I gave them five minutes with any president, they would be probing, but respectful. It's only yeah. when you get up to the national level where people are desperate for their few minutes on the air for their few yeah. seconds that they get. Uh, and, and the PAC mentality, I think, exists at the national level, much, much less so at the local level. They can be on the on the you, I agree with you uh, the, on the national level. Um, it, it seems like they can be, they can be pretty vicious, <laughs> I think. So, so uh, what's it, what's it like? So you went to work every day at the house. I did. What is that? I mean, did you, I mean, I'm sure at some point, at some point it probably started feeling like you know, just whatever. Yeah. I work at the white house, but in the beginning it had to feel like, I can't believe I'm going to work at the white house. Well, I think it's for me, it stayed that way the whole time. Did it? Um, it is. Um, and Reagan, um, whom you referred to a few moments ago, Ken, I think there's general recognition that he was an extraordinary individual. He had the self-confidence to let people underestimate him. And he was also extremely good um, involving other people. Uh, Mr. Bush's vice president played a key role. Baker was the best chief of staff any White House has ever had. Um, he was not a, um, he was very aware of the importance of communication and visibility, yeah. um, but he was um, very generous in involving other people. And he listened, he was a great listener. With, with now, when you were there, did you, did you spend, I mean, I've seen pictures of you and President Reagan together, but did you spend, did you have the ability or opportunity to spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with him? You want the real, um, I'm going to give you full screen, by the way. I, I forgot to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you full screen here and there, especially for some of these interesting. <laughs> I want to, I, yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear about this. I, Reagan was yeah. phenomenal. Reagan was phenomenal. But I'll tell you, um, the media director is the third level of staff. Um, it's not, it's not, it's a very important level of staff. Sure. But the most precious thing in the world is the time and attention of the president of the United States. Yeah. And I watched what had happened to other people, Ken, and my fondest hope was that nobody except the people that I reported to would notice me. And um, because wow. the press office was very jealous of its, um, of its prerogatives. Um, and the last thing they wanted was a media office that was fully functioning and getting a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, and um, when I got there, I made an appointment with Larry Speaks. I'd only been there about two days. And I can't demo to you since we're on Zoom. But the uh, so I made an appointment. And, and I get in there. And the press office is shooting daggers at me. So I, Larry's door opens. I get down on my knees. And I crawl in. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, he burst into laughter, which is what I wanted him to do. And I said, look. I am not going to step on your territory. I'm not going to be briefing the Washington Post. I'm not talking to NBC. You know, Indianapolis Star, here I come. If you'll just give me a chance. And he right. did. Okay. So wow. they let us operate. But again, the deal was um, uh, do not become overly visible. Um, and I tried to live by that. The um, I noticed I've been avoiding your questions. How yeah. Much did I spend with Reagan. Not very much, really? a, little, a little tiny bit before yeah. a couple of the briefings. Um, um, and I have some great stories, but um, I spent a lot more time with Mr. Bush, who was then vice president. And of course, the world has changed, um, <clears throat> Ken, but he was 
um, Bush was an extraordinary person. People forget really the breadth of influence. In fact, I look around with what's happening today and he would shudder because he was a real foreign policy yeah. um, expert. And um, <clears throat> the, uh, I, I, can I, I've got a great Bush story that really goes to what kind of person he was. Is it okay if I tell it? Mary, if you don't tell it, I'll be offended. <laughs> well, one, day, one day at the White House, my phone rings. It's early, early in the morning. And it's my former boss, Judge Webster. And he says, I'm going up to um, the, the Supreme Court to get this award. And there are about five of us. Is there any chance of meeting the president later today? I said, oh, same day. Almost. I, I, I just think that's going to be impossible. I said, but let me go try the vice president. So I go running upstairs in the old executive office building to the VEEP's office, explain the situation. They look at the schedule and they say, we can do two o'clock. So I go back down, I call Judge Webster, we're on for two, we get all the information, get it all into the, the system. 1.30, I go down and meet them, take them all up to his office, get them all lined up. And one of the staff people at the door says, who are those? And I said, <laughs> they're two children i believe that they're two and four and she said they're not on the list their father is here getting an award they said they're not on the list oh so my i go God. i go to the and I say, he says oh i don't want to cause any trouble i said no 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 here's what we're going to do i'm going to put you last i'm going to keep the kids with me at the entrance and when you get into mr bush's office ask him if he'd come to the door and wave at your kids <laughs> So they all go in. You can see where this is going. They all go in one at a time. Um, I'm holding him back. He's um, he says to um, to Mr. Bush, "Can you wave at the kids?" Bush comes to his door and says, "Can I'm getting an I'm getting an echo. What did I do wrong?" No, nah, it's the internet does that once in a while. So just, I'll just keep going. Okay, so he says that. So Mr. Bush comes to his door and says, "Where are your kids?" And he says, "They're over there." He says, "Well." Bring them in. So obviously we shepherd the kids in. I look at the staff person. I go. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't have to be on the list if the V wants to It gets even better. Can there was a very expensive ship model on one of the dressers. Bush takes it off the dresser, gets down on the floor with the kids. Oh, my God. oh wonderful pictures. Wonderful. That's what kind of person he was. He was actually very accessible. He was a great listener. He loved children. Um, and he did, um, we used him. I had a, a, um, a spiel I developed for local newspapers, a local news directors for my, uh, my TV spots. And I, I call up, you asked how about working in the White House. So I call up a local station and I'd say, uh, I speak to the news director. They say, he's busy. I say, okay, um, I'll just leave a message. I'm calling from the white house i'll get him i'll get him <laughs> so the guy would come on and i'd explain what i was uh, what i was doing and we put the tv things together and you had to take at least two cabinet secretaries um and generally mrs dole and secretary bell he was education at that point they were our two most popular and then you got in line for the vice president and then you got in line for the president and it was a deal that everybody took but wow. next story about, about uh, Mr. Bush, um, at one point we got really backed up and I used to do these in cycles of five. And so, I mean, we put five stations together. So we got so backed up that I had six groups. So I've got 30 stations. Wow. And then um, I said, I think we can, you know, the interviews are, we'll cut them down to four minutes. So we did all of them in a morning. And at the end of it, Mr. Bush said to me, Mary, could we not do quite so many the next time? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. We'll do much better. I promise. We'll do it much better. But he he got through them all. He was very game about it. Wow. And asked the same questions. He um, was a great guy. I mean, he was. He really was. I, I the one soundbite from from President Bush, and we're talking about H. Herbert Herbert Walker Bush, right? Um, George H. W. Bush. So. Um, is the Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall? That's the one sound bite that I it just runs through my head whenever I think of him. Well, that, yeah, that was a Reagan sound bite. You know, the, the oh, other, it was, it was Reagan. I'm sorry, that's all right. It was yeah. oft repeated. It has become one of those things that's become, um, 
legend. You know, yeah. at the end of Liberty Valance, if you got any movie buffs out there, Jimmy Stewart is telling the reporters who really shot Liberty Valance. He goes through the whole story. And at the end of it, they pick up their notes and they throw them in the fire. He says, aren't you going to print it? He said, and they say to him, when the legend becomes the fact, print the legend. Wow. Wow. But Reagan so, was, he was great to work with. Yeah. And uh, uh, he did ask me one question. He spoke, we had a briefing for women, editors of women's magazines. And when I proposed that, uh, Mr. Baker actually said, you know, those broads aren't our natural constituency. I said, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great, Mr. Baker, it's gonna be great. And it went well. And at the end of it, um, Ellen Levine, who was the editor of Women's Day came out and she said to me, oh, I wanted to hate him. And I liked him. <laughs> Reagan was great at that. He, he really genuinely liked and was interested in people and they sensed it and reciprocated. Yeah. Wow. So how, how long did you, so we had, um, how did you, did you end up staying there for through the, the next presidency? How long were you there? Well, I was only there. We'd been in Washington. I was there for about a year and a half. Okay. We'd okay. been in Washington for five years and wow. um, my brand new husband, whose name was Tex, that tells you everything, right? Yeah. I wanted to go back to Texas. And that sort of leads me to the next chapter in my life because I feel grateful that people have been so kind to me and that I owe it to other people. But the second thing is that I feel extremely lucky to have created something which can really transform people's lives. And, and that was a great gift. And that's what we've spent the last 30 years on because we came back to Texas. Wow. So you ended up leaving the, you left the white, did you, did you stay for Reagan's entire presidency? No, we, we left oh. in the middle of the, the, uh, the second term. Tex okay. was eager to come back uh, and get involved in politics and become a lawyer. I like to say, Ken, that we came to the end of our government savings pretty about as much as we came to the end of my savings. So <laughs> government service and savings ended at the same moment. Wow. So you moved back, you moved to Texas. We moved to Texas. And you weren't, and, and had you ever lived in Texas, you personally? I hadn't been that lucky. <laughs> so here you are off with a new husband named Tex moving to Texas. And he was, he was in DC. That's where you met him was in DC. I, I met him in DC. He was the chief of staff of the department of justice. Oh, and, uh, later the, uh, assistant secretary, assistant, um, attorney general for legal policy. And, um, and, uh, he was at justice for all five of those years and he wanted to come back to Texas. And, um, uh, That's right. the, as, as I, I'm, I mean, much as I love where you are, Ken, as I might say, if you just look at the demographics, it seems like everybody wants to come to Texas. Yeah. Everybody is coming to Texas. It looks like, uh, and I was just in Dallas a few months ago and I called my wife. I said, we need to move to Texas. <laughs> she said, she said, no, I said, Texas is beautiful. Dallas, Plano. I was in the Plano area and yeah. And, and it's just, it's just beautiful. And there's everything like there's, everything is there like it's amazing well the area where you are you know i spent um uh, two years in columbus ohio okay. um, as the co-host of columbus alive oh that's and, right uh, yeah um that's and right. i probably was not the first person to put jack Hanna on the air but we certainly did everything we could to build up his presence and i remember my first wow. my i guess it was my second day in columbus so it was my first night on the air and the shot sheet that is that lists the guests says John uh, says um, Jack Hanna, Columbus Zoo, baby lion cub. <laughs> oh, this will be cute. The thing is six months old. Oh it wanders around the studio. I tuck my feet underneath me, leaving my shoe. It, it, it ate both my Bruno Magley heels. Oh, my gosh. Do you know, I, I and I know that my wife, 
she's she's done a lot of work with Jack and and she knows him and his family very well. She ran my wife ran the Ohio State Fair for eight oh. years, so she was the marketing director there. You told me that I said we had Miss Swine on the show. I don't know who Miss Swine is. She'll she'll chime in though. I'm sure she does. We you know we live north of Columbus in Marion. It's beautiful. Marion. Yeah. And and in fact, when I told Judge Starr, he asked where I said we're in Marion, Ohio, and he said, "Oh, well, that's where um, President Harding and and he starts going into President Harding um, campaign from his front porch in Marion, Ohio, <laughs> and he knew everything." I'm like, "How do you know all that about Marion?" Like, I didn't even know all that about Marion, so. But yeah, Columbus is a great city and Columbus Alive. I remember Columbus Alive. Um, and yeah, she was with the Ohio Expo Center. And do you remember City Center Mall? You know, I don't. If people would come into the studio, I would love to talk to your wife because we, we tried to support the state fair. We had the egg lady on. We had, we, I mean, we had, um, I'll bet at least. Uh, once every other week, we had somebody on promoting something from the state fair because, although, Ken, I'm now a Texan, so I have to say this, you know, Texas is the biggest state fair, but Ohio is certainly a contender, not just for size, but for breadth. It was wonderful. In fact, yeah. if anybody hasn't been to the state, the Texas state fair was closed last year. Was the Ohio one? Yes, and they clo they're not open again this year. I believe she come to Texas. Come, come on, guys. Come on down. We're open this year. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, my wife, it breaks her heart because you know, she's still friends with the guy that um, is the general manager there. So, but um, so you were here in Columbus. You, you ended up, you had a pretty interesting story about how you and, and judge Ken Starr met. Well, I was uh, picked as a White House fellow. Um, as I said, I was um, went to the FBI, and um, the um, uh, when Reagan was elected, he went off with all the dignitaries, and um, the special assistants took over his office because it had this great view of Pennsylvania Avenue. So we're all there, and we see these people walking into Main Justice, which was the big Department of Justice building, with boxes. So the senior special assistant turns and looks around at everybody and he says, Mary, you're not important. Go find who they are. So I go across the street and of course I'm badged for the FBI. And I had been working with the deputy attorney general's office. I'd never been up to the AG's office and I get up there empty, completely empty. And there's this very young guy unpacking boxes. So I introduced myself and I said, I'm Mary Spaeth. I'm one of Judge Webster's special assistants. He said, I'm Ken Starr. Wow. And so that's uh, that's that's how we met. The um, um, I was thinking, can I go back to your wife for a minute? Because I, I sent a note to Jack when the recent news came out and I never got an answer from the Jack Hanna team. But um, I consider myself on the Jack Hanna team um, wow. and, and would love to be back in touch with them. I had, you know, the the um, the job of, of a of a talk show host on something like Columbus Alive, when the guy comes in with animals, it's to make fun of you. And I had a steady stream of animals that came in and they um, they poop on you. Okay. <laughs> they each, we had, had a llama that ate all the buttons off my jacket. Oh my gosh. They, um, uh, and I don't know, Ron Giles, who was my, uh, my co-host, um, of course, he was a really, he was a journalist. He was a very well-respected journalist. Yeah, um, and he would laugh at this. Yeah, we had um, um, I can't remember. There was a turkey buzzard. Anyways, they bring this thing in and they take it off its perch and it flies all around the studio. Wow, landing on the cameras. Where of course you know what birds do. They, yep. The um, uh, wow. but the Columbus, you know, the Columbus Zoo has got one of the most um, uh, renowned video presences now. In yeah. terms of, I'm addicted to their weekly show. It is, it is, it is terrific. Yeah, but, you know. I'm yeah, Jack. It is, it, it, I, I remember something happened recently with Jack. What was it? I, I. His his um, I hope I'm doing this sensitively. His team announced that he was retiring from public life, 
because of the onset of um, yeah physical so difficulties. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. He gave so much to it. He, he made he did you know the Columbus Zoo for for people that don't know. Um, by the way, you may remember a gal. I don't know how long she's been in the media here, but she's been with NBC here in Columbus for a long time. Um, her name is Mindy Dreyer, and Mindy is going to be on this show next week, actually. She's a friend of mine, and she's an amazing lady. But well, um, NBC, she's a real journalist. Um, I was always an imposter. <laughs> and, um, I can I, I can relate to that. I describe myself. I mean, I I do a lot of writing, but it's mostly opinion writing, yeah. um, or profiles. Or we do. You mentioned a lot of entrepreneurs are listening to your show. Yeah, we yeah. do a significant amount of writing for people um, at the C-suite level or who are aspiring to the C-suite level because today um, it's not enough. Just it's not enough to know your subject. Yeah. You have to, you need to know how to connect with your audience, whether it's remote or in person. And we have, a, people say, well, I'm, I'm already very good at, I said, okay, good. Tell me about guideposts. What are you doing for interaction? What kind of props are you using? Okay. okay. What kind of questions are you asking the audience? And let's not even get into visuals and PowerPoint. And today we expect, I don't know whether it's the TED Talks, but we expect a lot of a speaker. of a speaker. They can't be merely informative. They have to be inspiring. Now, the good news is, is that those are all things that people can learn. Yeah. One of the things that we, we, we said it's very important as a leadership skill is humor. And people always say to me, well, Mary, I'm not naturally funny. And I'll say, you know, if President Reagan were here, he would say he wasn't naturally funny. He worked at it. And of course, yeah. now, um, as the Reagan Library is opening up so many of his writings, it's clear he was a terrific writer. And he worked on lines and he worked on, I've got a, I have a great Reagan story before we end the hour, but he understood that humor is how you make a bond with the audience. And it's like anything else. Um, it can be learned and practiced, but it's important to make it a priority. And I think too many people think that they are prepared because they're experts in their material. That's just the first step. Amen. Amen. And amen. And amen. I totally agree with everything you just said. And I see it. I mean, I teach, I teach um, live streaming. I teach people how to use live streaming and social media. And it, 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 I, I, I become perplexed when I watch because there are people who are content experts in their field, but you put them on camera, and <laughs> it's like. <laughs> You know, it would be a whole lot more interesting if you had a personality while you're delivering your message. So, and I'm I'm being I'm trying to be nice too, but um so so you uh, let's go back to um let's go back to moving to Texas with Tex your your new husband. Um what was it like for a a girl from Basically, D.C. and I mean, Philadelphia is not even that far from D.C. What was it like for you to to I mean, Texas is huge. Texas is huge. Um, and I did bounce around a little bit, but then I got lucky again um, and I had um, I struck out on my own with encouragement from a variety of people. Of course, <sighs> I would like to make this sound very strategic, but the truth is I thought, well, I've done a lot that's interesting. Somebody's gonna hire me for something. <laughs> and uh, we had a call with what used to be Southwestern Bell Telephone. They yeah. were one of the first companies to encourage their own employees to talk about the company. And the CEO sat me down and he said, you know, we've learned the customer does not remember what we thought we told them. And I thought, ah, have I missed this? And I realized that my attitude had been, what did I want to say? Or what did I think somebody needs to know? And of course, the minute you ask how much do people remember a lot or a little, everybody knows it's just a little. And I wondered if anybody had studied that. And then we had two calls later that week, one with a big healthcare system based in Dallas and one with the national uh, audit practice for the accounting and consulting firm, Arthur Anderson. And they both hired us. 
And they gave us the assignments that have shaped our last three decades. Um, we've developed a model that looks at who the audience is and how you influence what they hear, what they believe, what they remember, and then understands how to enlist them to affect what they pass on. Yeah. And we have, I don't know if I can show it to you, we, we have the largest library of examples, we think, in the world. So we're constantly wow. teaching with all these snippets of examples. And it turns out to be, if I've done my job right, your listeners will say, well, of course that makes sense. But it's a sea change in how people think about communication because people get up and they think, what do I want to say? And the minute you ask, okay, that's great. How much do people remember? And they say, just a little, okay. That shapes how you think about communication. It shapes how you put communication together. It's a leadership skill because particularly if you're at the top of an enterprise, people look to you and they will behave as you do and they will pick up and say exactly what you say. And if you do it right, it ripples across the, um, the entire organization and becomes a very powerful tool and a competitive edge. You know, a lot of, of um, I have a lot of small business owners that, that you know, are, very small business owners in some cases um, that, that watch the show or listen to it. And, you know, I think that you're talking about dealing obviously with some very, very large companies. Um, what about the small business owner that's, that's, you know, trying to, they, they want the big, they want to become big, but they maybe are stuck. What What do you find when you're talking with or coaching some of these, these entrepreneurs? What do you find is holding a lot of them back? I think they don't think in terms of enlistment. Um, and I'll give you an example. The um, uh, Generally, small businesses have an extremely high number of repeat customers. And if, if that's the case, I mean, the usual rule of thumb, of course, is which I think is pretty close, 80% of your business comes from 20% of your customers. But the question is, if you have repeat customers, have you ever said to them, first of all, thank you? Right. And then second of all, this concept of enlistment is so interesting and because it goes to, to the speech framing. So if you say, if you ever see an opportunity, would you recommend us to someone that you know? That's a yes, no framing question. So instead of just saying thank you, if you take the next step and ask for help, many people will say yes. Mm. And if somebody actually says yes, they've made a commitment to you. And the chances that they will actually pass your name along escalate dramatically. And most, I shouldn't say that, many small businesses just stop at saying thank you for being a reference. They don't take that next step to say, would you pass our name on? Would you be a reference for us? And look for opportunities. Now, if you look at, at, at um, entities that have really made this a part of their business model, you need to look no further than Mary Kay. Mm. Which made this, um, I mean, I love Mary Kay because if yeah. you sit next to anybody who has anything to do with Mary Kay, they start telling you about the product. But the best part is they think they're doing you a favor. Um, another great company that has really built in personal involvement and enlistment is FedEx. Okay. Yeah. The number of stories of FedEx, of couriers going the extra mile, doing something that wasn't part of their job description. And frequently, you know, that means adding more time or spending more money. Okay. But they've built that into their business model. And a key part of that is to talk about it, find the anecdotes or the stories that celebrate the behavior that you want to celebrate and yeah. tell them over and over and over again. So you call it enlistment. Enlistment. En enlistment, yeah. which uh, referrals. But most people just, they stop with saying, you know, here's our, if you, you know, pass this on or pass beyond that, it's, it's the person to person question. Will you help me? You know, will you look for someone who could use our service? Okay. I love that. And when people say, yes, yeah, some people don't answer. I'm not saying that you lobby them. Yeah. But when people say yes, they make a commitment to you. 
I absolutely love that. I love that. So I'm going to ask you that question about getting some more guests on the show. <laughs> Great ideas. Yeah. Wow. So, so, you Can know, I tell one Reagan story before we run out of time. Oh yes, please, please. Well, cause it also, I think it, it relates right to this. The, um, when I was at the White House, it was it was very formal and it was a very well-run organization. Yeah. And the president's time was booked in five-minute increments. And as you already mentioned, ask me very tactfully, I thought, how much time did I spend with Reagan? And the answer was not a lot. But um, occasionally, uh, we would have the president book to do either a welcome or what's called a drop-by. That is, you'd have your group there and the president would do a drop-by and say, Welcome to the White House. We're glad that you're here. And he would exit. So I had a group of editors in the Roosevelt Room, which is quite a small room in the West Wing. Mm-hmm. And the president was due to do a welcome. So we get everybody together. <clears throat> and generally, you would notify the duty officer. We're ready. Okay. No duty officer. So I, okay. so I go across the hall and knock on the secretary's door. Knock, knock, knock. I said, um, you know, we're ready. She says, oh, he's in the cabinet room. So I go into the cabinet room and he's got his jacket off and his little half glasses on. And he says, Mary, you're <laughs> a woman. And I always regret in the telling of this story that I can't say snappy comeback. I just stood there. He starts with these lines and he had papers spread everywhere. He kept up a correspondent with writers all over the country and had for years Oh my and I God. happened to wander across his radar screen when he's thinking about how do I, what kind of line will make a bond with young professional women? And I watched the lines dribble out uh, for, for weeks. My last event in the White House was to have the Outstanding Working Women of America at Globe Glamour Magazine in the White House for picture. And um, the president's going to come in do a, do a photo op with him. So he comes in, he says, ah. Oh, what an outstanding group of women. It reminds me of a story. A man is walking along and he collapses. A woman pedestrian begins to kneel at his side. Up comes another man. He elbows her aside. He says, I've had CPR. Let me try this. Let me handle this. He kneels at the fallen pedestrian's side. He begins to go through the checklist, check his tie, check his breathing, his head. She leans over and she taps him on the shoulder and she says, will you get to the point where it says, call a doctor? I'm right here. <laughs> Women loved it. Now, but the point of this story is there's another piece to it. Um, The White House, if anybody of your viewers have been there, is a very small place. So after an event like this, people go out onto the lawn. And if there is local press or press covering them, that's where they buttonhole them. One of the winners that year was the only woman warden of a male prison from Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, African-American, six feet two, really, really impressive. So she goes outside and Hartford Television comes up, thrusts a mic in her face because they're hoping she just trashes him. And they say, what do you think? So she looks right into the camera and I'm standing a little bit away because I know that what she says is going to affect my career at the White House. <laughs> she looks right into the camera and she says, you know, when you talk to that guy, he changes your mind. And I thought, yes, yes. Wow. Those words have struck me all these years because when you talk to people, you do change their mind. Yes. And yet most people think that they can do this because they can talk. They don't think about having a structure and a philosophy and understanding what enhances their ability to change people's mind and making it a priority. And you've just given me a chance to tell people how important it is. Thank you. I am like your... <laughs> You're on a completely different level. And I know that you don't um, see yourself that way, but you are, you're an amazing lady. I, I, you know, the last year and a half has been, um, we'll just say challenging for a lot of people. And, and I can remember going through some really, really, really tough times as a business owner and bootstrapping and and just not not making it what do you say to the people who 
may have maybe they feel like they've done everything you know how to do and just not they're they're hanging on by a thread what what do you say to to somebody to give them the the motivation to keep pushing forward well i want to be serious because um the answer of course is to keep going and if i were being less serious i would say remind them that Scarlett O'Hara ends going with the wind by saying tomorrow is another day. Um, and she was right. And um, I, I do feel um, Ken, that it's very helpful to be grateful, um, to, um, to ascribe thanks and gratitude to a higher power. Um, Amen. Wherever you fall on the religious spectrum um, is to remember we are in this together that's why I said at the beginning, um, I feel so lucky to have been alive and been the beneficiary of so many good deeds that people did for me many times with most of, most of the time without even being asked, people did. And that um, is an obligation in terms of how you think about life and how yeah. you behave. And, um, and I, I, think you, I think you and I would agree, and I hope that your viewers will take this seriously. Um, Life is long, and the admonition to treat others the way you wish you'd been treated um, really is a very firm foundation for a successful and productive life, and really for a happy life. One thousand percent agree. You know the golden rule, and I think that people don't. You know, one of the things I I. I teach people when it comes to social media is, you know, people will do these posts and sit back and wait on, on, you know, admiration and likes and loves and, and they don't pay attention to anyone else's. And I'm like, if you would just share other people's stuff, like sh share their posts, share their, you know, show them some love um, and be genuine and authentic about it. I mean, Zig Ziglar said it. He said, you can have anything you want in life if you'll just help enough other people get what they want out of life. Oh, I didn't know that's a great quote. So true. Yeah, it is. And he's from, he's, they, they're right. I'm friends with all of his children. They're right there in Dallas. So, wow. Um, yeah. So, Mary, you are an amazing woman. I have your website for anybody that would like more information because you work with executives and, and entrepreneurs and people all over the world, helping them um, become better at communicating. And could you put in a plug for our monthly memo of blunders and bloopers called the Bimbo Memo? Because you can sign up for it on the website and it's it's actually very funny, but it is a serious teaching tool. That is awesome. The bimbo memo. memo. Is that what you said? Yep. It's a reminder never to repeat and deny a negative because of how the listener hears it. And we named the genre for the young woman caught with a high profile, but unfortunately married man. And she actually held a press conference and announced, I am not a bimbo, uh, which of course went all over the country. Um, <laughs> And, um, but it, again, it's the three best comments of the month. And then you can click through to the full bimbo, which has everything I've collected during the month. And again, it's a very serious teaching tool, but it is very funny. That's awesome. And people can, can subscribe to that for free? For free. Yep. Just to sign up on the website. Wow. Well, everybody go over to spacecom.com. It's scrolling across the website or the, the bottom of the, the screen. And if somebody watching live would type that into the comments, put the www in front of it so it becomes clickable, I would be very, very grateful for that. So Mary Spath, you're amazing. And I would love to have, I, I have um, people on here saying, have her come back. <laughs> would love to have you back. And once in a while, um, I get you know some I get some panels together, and we do live streams in the evenings once in a while. Um, may, we may do one actually later this evening, um, uh, it, and it's FTC related, so you may find that interesting. Oh, so 
my stomping ground. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'll I'll talk to you a little bit off off camera about that. But um, Mary, listen, thank you so much. I'm very grateful to have had you on this show. You're you're amazing. Your resume is incredible. And look, everybody's putting it up on the on the the screen right now. There's your website. So thank you everybody for watching. Mary, thank you for being here. And and if you will stay with me, I'm gonna end the live stream. Stay with me and and um I would love to chat with you here real quick after we're we're finished here. Thank you so much. Thank you. you guys have a wonderful day. <laughs>